Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Where can you find the best tasting authentic Caribbean food in Tampa Bay? It's all at Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant in downtown Largo. Island Vibes has delicious jerk chicken, fresh seafood, Caribbean soup, salads, sandwiches, and more. Don't miss happy hour from 4 p.m. to close and live entertainment on Friday nights. Check out Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant at 351 West Bay Drive in Largo or call 727-240-4420. To check out their amazing Caribbean menu, visit Sweet Island Vibes. Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Rating Cars, and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. The, the Cool Shop. shop. Frank Bullard, some other kind of cop. Pity the guy he works for. Lieutenant, don't try to evade the responsibility. In your parlance, you blew it. What the hell is going on here? A high-speed pursuit? Two men are killed? An officer in the hospital? A witness almost murdered? Captain Baker would like to have a word with you. Now listen to me, Lieutenant. All right, nail him. I want him written off. Do you let anything reach you? I mean, really reach you. Or are you so used to it by now that nothing really touches you? You're living in a sewer, Frank. Day after day. With you, living with violence is a way of life. Living with violence and death. The way Frank Bullet's swinging, you know he's heading for a crash with that wall of official disapproval. Chicago blood starts spilling in San Francisco. They hand bullet the mop. Now, what went wrong, Lieutenant? Who else knew where he was? What? Who else knew where he was? 
What have you been implying? Oh, well, they knew where to look for him and they used your name to get in. Are you suggesting I disclosed his whereabouts? You believe what you want. You work your side of the street and I'll work mine. Welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. And don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, go to our podcast page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You can see all 330 past shows, so uh, we're pretty proud of that. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Would you like to do the uh, social media honors, please? Sure. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, at Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we're on Twitter and Periscope, at NRC On Air. That's right. Well, hope everybody had a good uh, Thanksgiving. I know we did. We had a lot of family stuff going on, and uh, and some other household projects and miscellaneous stuff, and uh, this is the first year in 20-some-odd years, maybe more than that, that I did not attend the, what's that thing called? Turkey Rod Run. Yeah, Daytona Turkey Run. The Daytona Turkey Rod Run. Yeah, I cannot believe I missed that. But, you know, I was so caught up in some of these little projects that I'm working on that just needed to be done. And uh, so we did not attend that. But we did some other stuff around the house. And we did a little drive. And let's see, what else did we do? Um, Saturday we did something. I can't remember what it was. See, this is what happens as you get older. As you get older, your memory just kind of like goes... <laughs> Every Sunday... There's a group of guys in the local British car club and other clubs, you know, they some Chevrolet people, and they actually allow us, some of us Ford guys to show up there. And uh, we meet at the Madeira Beach McDonald's down there. And uh, so it's kind of a cool crowd, uh, kind of an eclectic crowd, mostly British cars and stuff. But they really, the guys, one thing I got to say about car guys, the camaraderie among car guys is really, really, really good. I mean, it truly is a family sport, but it's it's very civil. You know, it's unlike, you know, ball sports where, you know, everybody gets drunk at a bar or someplace like that, and then they want to kill each other if their teams don't win. So stick and ball guys are completely different than car guys, although some car guys do follow sports, but, again, more on a, on a civil note. So having said that, we generally meet together now. There's a couple of events coming up this weekend. This coming weekend is extremely busy. And these are not just small events. These are major events. For example, this weekend in Orlando is Festivals of Speed. And as you all know, I'm a part of the staff at Festivals of Speed. I'm one of, the, one of the judges, and I'm also the MC for the event. And we do five events a year. We do the Ritz-Carlton, which is coming up this weekend in Orlando, okay, with a Jetport party. But the, the, event, the actual event takes place on Sunday at the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, beautiful hotel. Then in the spring, we do the St. Pete Show, we do Amelia Island, we do Mission, and then, of course, about three weeks ago, we did the uh, the very first Hollandale Show at Miami, and uh, at the uh, 
Hallandale, no, what was it called? The, At the Diplomat uh, Golf and Tennis Club. Yeah, see how bad my memory is? I couldn't even remember that. But uh, And that was a spectacular event, and that we're looking forward to again. That was great. Matter of fact, we stayed at a hotel. It was called the Beachwalk Hotel, which is where we stayed for the evening, and it was actually designed by Pininfarina. So uh, we kind of got in late, and we had to work the next day, so we really didn't get a chance to check out the hotel. But today when I was online, I was looking at it, and uh, pretty interesting hotel. So if you get a chance to check out the Beachwalk, Pininfarina. It's really neat because the lobby, the whole thing has kind of a really exotic contemporary Italian look to it, but what was really neat is down the hallways, they have all these um, photos of some of the interesting designed and cars uh, that were done by Pininfarina, most notably, obviously, Ferraris, and he's done some stuff with Fiat, and he's done some stuff with um, possibly Maserati. The MGB GT is a Pininfarina-designed car, so oddly like, enough. It's like walking in your Ferrari dealership and going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the hotel is very contemporary, very modern, very clean, and pretty pretty, pretty outstanding, I must admit. Now, uh, so festivals will be this weekend. Now, while we're on the subject of Italian cars, this weekend at Daytona... There's a huge Ferrari event, and it's called Something Something Mondial, and it's kind of like a uh, big thing that Ferrari does. I guess they do it kind of like the Porsche, if I had the, the Porsche reunion thing, what do we the works reunion. No, 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 not the works reunion. What was it? The Rensport. Porsche does a Rensport reunion. God, I'm getting bad at this. I should know this by now. But anyway, so Porsche does a Rensport reunion. Of course, last year we were at Monterey, and there was something like 60,000 people showed up at Monterey at the Laguna Seca racetrack. Excuse me, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Did I say that right, Bobby? I know they're going to jump Think all Think about it. Yeah. And uh, so, and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars that were there. You know, thousands of cars, I should say. Uh, you know, Porsche files, Porsche fanatics, and and so on. So I think what Ferrari is doing is something very similar to that. And you can go Google Daytona and Google Ferrari, and it'll pop up. And I think they've got Sebastian Vettel and uh, um, Mika Hakkinen, which are the two Ferrari F1 drivers. And Sebastian Vettel, kudos to him. He came in third at the uh, F1 race in Dubai this weekend. And Nico Rosberg uh, came in. Actually, he came in second, but he won the driver's championship for the year because Lewis Hamilton basically got on the binder, slowed him up, and kept him in the traffic against the orders against the orders of the Mercedes-Benz team because they run Mercedes. And uh, but anyway, that's that's politics what? and Are you racing. Kidding me? Yeah, right. Anyway, so uh, all right, so they got the big Ferrari event. Okay, uh, HSR, our good friends at Historic Sports Car Racing, got the huge. 12-hour Sebring event, classic, the 12-hour classic at Sebring this weekend, and they've got a world-class group of cars showing up there from all over the world. I mean, hundreds of cars are going to show up to that event. I think it's something like between 250 and 300 cars, many from Europe, and uh, and some notable drivers as well. So the HSR event is uh, huge. That's going on this weekend. And then also the, our local friends here at the British Car Club, the Tampa Bay British Car Club is having uh, their one of their annual picnics, their fall picnics, uh, at Philippi Park. And uh, so if you can make it to that. And, uh, and then if you go to floridacarshows.com, you can see all the other car events that are going on this weekend because there's so many events going on, I can't keep track of them. But the major events that, have, that are going on this weekend are huge, okay? So, uh, and then also this weekend, I think in Tampa, for all you guys that like new cars, is the International Car Show at Tampa, right? The brand new car show stuff. So that's good. Now, this weekend, in next door, if you know, if you kind of know where our studio is located, we're located in downtown Clearwater, and we're on Myrtle Street, which is on the corner of Myrtle and Eldridge. And right behind us is Naughty Nasty's 
Naughty Nancy's. Naughty Nancy. Freudian slip there. Naughty Nancy's uh, restaurant and crow's nest, whatever you want to call it. Excellent food. But every Tuesday night, they have open mic night over there, okay? Well, tomorrow night, what we're going to do is we're going to have an open mic night at Island Vibes. Right, Bobby? That's so right. we want to get a whole bunch of people to show up. Check out our website. I think we got some information on there. If not, check out our Facebook page. There's some definitely information on there. But Island Vibes Restaurant, which is on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo, tomorrow night they're going to do their first open mic night. Open so, mic night. And From open uh, 6.30 to 9.30. Sign in between 5.30 and 6.30. Uh, that's 351 West Bay Drive, Largo, Florida. Right. And uh, open mic nights are a lot of fun. Now, I, I kind of in the guitars a little bit. I'm not a very good musician. I kind of, I'm still, I, I, I can kind of, you know, play a few chords and stuff like that. So I'm kind of your basic guy. But th- believe it or not, there's a lot of talent around here. So if you're talented, if you play the guitar, whether you play, you know, acoustic, whether you play electric, whether you play saxophone, whether you play flute, whether you play drums, whether you play keyboard, if you play any kind of instrument, you're definitely welcome to come out to these open mic nights. In fact, there's a website. What's the website? OpenMikeTampa.com. Yeah, go check that out because you'd be amazed at how many open mic locations are um, in the uh, Tampa Bay area. And there's a lot of them over in Tampa. There's a few yeah. in Pinellas County. And Safety Harbor, I think, has one. Uh, Dunedin might have one. Mm-hmm. Naughty Nancy's obviously has one and so on. But anyway. If we want to look a uh, week ahead to our uh, Largo's Old Fashioned Christmas Parade. Oh, yeah. December 17th, uh, 2016 at noon. Uh, don't miss that. That's downtown Largo, That's right? That's downtown Largo. The streets of downtown Largo. That's Largo's old-fashioned Christmas parade. You can look them up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Largo Parade. There you go. So, Bobby, what do we have on the uh, tournament table today? We got something spinning around and around and around, something kind of classic? Summertime. Oh, we're going to have to... We're going to have to... Stop talking and start this from the beginning here in order to do this right, right? (laughs) All right, yeah, well, anyway, so here's a song by Ricky Nelson, and I want you to listen to the song, and then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this song afterwards, okay? Because you know we're big music guys. And, of course, we, as usual, we have a very special guest for you coming on in a few minutes, but, uh, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. Till that morning, 
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Where can you find the best tasting authentic Caribbean food in Tampa Bay? It's all at Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant in downtown Largo. Island Vibes has delicious jerk chicken, fresh seafood, Caribbean soup, salad, sandwiches, and more. Don't miss happy hour from 4 p.m. to close and live entertainment on Friday nights. Check out Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant at 351 West Bay Drive in Largo or call 727-240-4420. To check out their amazing Caribbean menu, visit Sweet islandvibes.com Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Rating Cars and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. The, the Cool Shop. Shop.com. This is Bill Warner of the Amelia Island Concord Delegates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and it's uh, in a few minutes we're going to have our guest on the line. But here, hey, now here's we got a question for you, okay? If we're going to have, we have a CD here that we're going to give away, all right? And it's the Gary Puckett Christmas songs. Now, everybody knows Gary Puckett, you know, big time uh, musician and popular band out of the 60s. Most notably, their song was Young Girl and Woman, Woman. Now, if you want to give us a call here at the studio, you can win this CD, okay? The studio line is 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, or 866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. Now, here's the question. We just played a song by Ricky Nelson. It was called Summertime. Now, you know how bands have a tendency to kind of borrow music licks from other bands. Now, that song was kind of like uh, turned into a really cool rock and roll psychedelic style song in the late 60s. And name that song, okay, and you will win the CD, okay? Name that song, okay? Now, you listen to the Ricky Nelson song, Summertime, okay? Name that song. Now, if you don't want to give us a call here right now, and if you miss it, because we're going to go right to our next little segment here in a second. Yeah, you, you can, got, got a lot Yeah, of you time. can call us anytime during the show, okay? And then, uh, or you can leave us a message. You can text us. No, you can't really text us, but no, you, what you can do, uh, you can go to our Facebook page. Hey, hey, there yeah, you go. So I go, like that. Go to, and then uh, go to our Facebook page, and what we might do is we might put the question in the Q&A up there. Bob, why don't you go ahead and uh, get our guests on the line. In the meantime, I'm going to blah, 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 some more. And um, now you guys know about all these car shows. I just mentioned all that stuff. You know about FloridaCarShows.com. And I'll tell you what, it's really, 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 really cool to go to some of these events. We're looking forward to Festivals of Speed this weekend, obviously. And we're going to go to Sebring probably, I don't know, 
There's a lot of stuff I got to kind of squeeze in here because I definitely want to go to Sebring because the 12-hour uh, historic races down there is just absolutely spectacular. It's put on by uh, our good friends down there at HSR, which is Dave Hinton and James Redman, who is the son of the famous race car driver Brian Redman. And uh, guys like Vic Elford will be down there. You know, he was uh, 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 started out as a rally driver. He raced uh, a little bit. I think he did one or two stints on an F1 car, but mainly a GT racer. He is most notably famous for taming the crazy and insane Porsche 917. And uh, I tell you what, you know, you talk to those drivers and you get a chance to interview those guys. And it's amazing because uh, we had Sam Posey on. One of the comments that he made one time was the question I asked him was, what goes through your mind, you know, the morning of the race? And he says, well looking in the mirror and wondering if you'll ever brush your teeth again. And that's pretty profound. You know, Brian Redmond said that uh, one of the reasons, and Vic Alford as well, a number of other drivers said the reason they got out of racing was because every week you knew somebody was going to die. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the way the sport went. And then you just kept on racing. And uh, so, I mean, the commitment that these guys had, but the but the reality of it is uh, racing was extremely dangerous back in the day. Today, it's a much, much safer sport, and the technology has made these drivers, I'm going to say the technology has made the average driver a really, really good driver. Because back in the old days, men were men, cars were cars, and you had to manhandle those cars. Okay, Bob, we're going to go to our little clip, and then we're going to introduce our guests. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars, don't touch that dial, we'll be right back. Such happy times and not so long ago Shit, 
GT Cobra of Schlesser and Bondurant sloshes through the six-inch deep river along the pit straight. It's the worst deluge ever recorded at Sebring. Drivers report sitting in water up to their elbows. The closed cars are doing the best of all. The Leslie Grant Cobra pits, or ties up, might be more accurate, as mechanics wade into their jobs. Positions begin to change now. The number 30 Rodriguez Hill Ferrari loses ground. More gearbox trouble. The tiny Austin Healy prototype finds the wet to its liking. And so do the forces. Paul's car can barely crawl. One lap took 12 minutes. The high-powered Schlesser Bondurant Cobra watches a tiny Austin Healy Sprite sail by on the slick surface. The rain has slackened now, but the new pit wall acts like a dike, keeping the straight deep enough to wade in. The Hall Sharp car picks up the pace as the rain lets up. The Johnson Payne Cobra finds a pit stop just as frustrating as its teammate earlier, and nightfall doubles the problem for the harassed driver. The track has dried some, but positions have changed. The Hall Sharp Chaparral leads, but now by six laps. Miles and McLaren in the number 11 Ford GT are now second with the number 31 Piper Mags Ferrari third after a magnificent stint in the rain. The number 15 Cobra of French champ Joe Schlesser and Californian Bob Bondurant is fourth, first GT. And the Pond Bozetta Porsche 904, fifth. The lead Chaparral is called in with just over an hour left. No lights as Sharp brings the Chaparral in. Same problem as with number four earlier, the voltage regulator. Hall's crew is prepared, and Jim takes the car out for the final hour, comfortably in first place. The Piper Mags Ferrari pits for gas in a driver change. They're seven laps behind in third place. Hall's only threat now, the still wet track and the possibility of an accident. His crew shows place one on his last pit signal of the race. And Jim Hall takes the checker from Jesse Coleman bringing pandemonium and well-earned happiness to the Chaparral pit. Hey, sports fans, Peter Brock here from BRE Racing and Aerovault Trailers, telling you to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the best automobile show in the Southeast. Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is a very interesting man and very fascinating, and he's probably had the ideal job for every Chevrolet guy on the planet. He's worked for the Chevrolet Engine Racing Development Department since the early 60s, and he was there when all this stuff was going on, and he worked with Jim Hall and Roger Penske and some of these incredible guys that have been very successful in racing. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Bill Tower. Bill, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. So, yeah. what'd you think? I found that clip, and I knew you were, worked with Jim Hall, and I thought, well, i got to play this for you as an intro when you come on the show this evening. I was actually there. That's that's what I figured. So, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? The 1965 Sebring races, and it was uh, a very wet uh, day for you guys, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Um, what happened was it, it, it really was one of them, if you're from Florida, you, you can get them like that, but this was an exceptional rain it rained about three inches i guess or maybe even more than that but uh the open cockpit cars like uh, hall's car uh 
the chaparral really caught it. But I was down there with the Grand Sport, the number five, and uh, they got so much water in the car that when they got into the hairpin, they had to open the door to let the water out of the car. Wow, that's an incredible story. That much water, they had to open the door to let the water out. Wow, that's almost like a... no, you know, we didn't have no uh, rubberized stuff to keep the water out. Uh -huh. just, if the door closed, that's all they cared about. You know, that's. A, but anyway, uh, it was pretty bad, and they also it uh, was so bad that the water started sloshing, and it started shorting out the switches down in the council part of it with the the rear pumps and stuff. Uh -huh. So what they did is they come in and they put the switches up on top of the dash, and a lady was it with with this team. She had uh, fingernail polish, so they polished put and fingernail polish up on the dash of the car so you could tell what switches are. And when it got nighttime, they knew where what switch turned on and off. Oh, interesting, because the fingernail polish was a little bit like translucent? Yeah, it was, and uh, it, uh, it kind of just uh, designated what's, you know, so you wouldn't make a mistake, you know, when coming in or whatever, you know. Very interesting. That's very innovative. If you think about it, it's kind of like on the spot. What do we do? A quick fix. That worked Hell out real yeah, good. That's what you got to be. That's what makes winners and losers. You got to <laughs> be real. You know, when something don't happen, you got to know what to do. You know, it just comes naturally. And when, you know, they did that. You, know. you got to be innovative. Okay. Well, give us a little background on yourself. You know I mean? You're from Florida originally. You got a yes, chance sir. to go to the General Motors Institute up there, and you graduated from there, and then you went right to Chevrolet. So you're very, very lucky. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you, how this all happened for you. Well, it, it happened. Uh, let's start back down here in Tampa area here. And uh, uh, I went to Oak Park and Franklin and Hillsborough High School, which is the three main schools that were here. And uh, uh, when I was going to high school, I worked at a Chevy dealership. It's called Hillsborough Avenue. It, it's called Dempsey Chevrolet. Uh, it was known, very well-known dealership because when Chitwood had the thrill show um, years back, we handled all them thrill show cars, like in 56 and all. They, they prepared them for the, the hell drivers and all. And I worked down there changing tires and cleaning them up. And, and uh, when it progressed, I started getting in with the, fuel injection cars that come in, nobody would handle them. And I started reading up on them and stuff like that. And basically, I just, uh, then they started having problems, warranty problems. And I would come in and I'd go down there and, and fix them and, and, you know, after school. And, and, uh, and I got a little better at it. And, and everybody just left them alone and when I'd get off from school, I'd go down there and fix the injection systems. Usually it wasn't the fuel injection. It was the points in the distributor, and a lot of people didn't realize that. But anyway, it kind of got built up further and further, and and then the dealership uh, uh, kind of thought that I needed to go on and uh, and do a little better. So they they actually sponsored me to go to GMI. And that was my that was my start with uh, Chevrolet and GM, and uh, but when I was uh, like in tenth grade, I wrote a letter to GM or Chevrolet and told them that what I wanted to do, what my projection was to go in and 
and work with the performance cars and stuff like that. And and um, they 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 put it on file. And when I got up there, they they had it, and they and that kind of introduced me a little bit of where I wanted to go with them. You know. Yeah. Excellent. That's uh, just that's a neat piece of trivia. 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 So that's great. So then, so you, uh, so how long were you at the GMI, the uh, General Motors Institute? How long? Well, you know, you have to work and go to school too. Okay. They get both things. They get the good out of you. I'll tell you that. That's, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I I was young enough that you know, listen, eight hours wasn't nothing. Sixteen hours was probably uh, like eight hours and. You just got on the projects and you worked on them, and you didn't know what time you was going to be home and all. Because I had an apartment up there, and I just I hardly ever slept there. I was always down the tech center and or down there at the wind tunnel thing, you know. So trying to learn, you know, it just was neat. Excellent. Well, now you had a a, a very interesting uh, opportunity because you worked with the likes of Bill Mitchell, uh, Vince Piggins. Zora Duntoff, Pete Brock, who uh, gave us a little uh, intro here a little while ago. Uh, so tell us about some of the people that you worked with early on at GM. Penske, Chaparral, people like that. Well, we'll start off. Uh, my main boss, uh, was his name was uh, Vince Piggins, and I was almost 36 years with him till he retired. And uh, what a blessing to work with him all the years. And, and then, of course, Jim Perkins was his boss, and he was he was just uh, another good guy and and uh, I didn't ha- the thing that really helped me out a lot is is I didn't have to deal with a bunch of politics and and when I went to the race group when I when I got out of GMI that was a special thing because everybody was trying to get over in there and I you know and it just happened the good Lord let me get in there with them and and uh, and. When I worked there, I could work next to engineers that were making six figures even back in the day, and I was. It didn't matter to them. They we all worked as one. They they really made that. When I first started, they told them, "You're in the family now. We do not accept anybody any better than what it. We're all one." And it re, and they really stood by that, and that's why we got along so good. Everybody had their little quirks and quims and what we did work together you know it was, it was really a, a neat time and how close we came together all of us you know you had an opportunity to uh, also work on the uh or you were a tail end but you have a little little connection with the mystery motor tell us a little bit about that because your forte really is engines correct that's your yeah, specialty that was what I, that's what i wanted to do is uh get in development and work on something that nobody put their hands on already. Mm-hmm. And then what that did is when you worked on something like that, you look in the mirror, you're the ones that are responsible. You can't blame it on nobody else. So that was, that was rough, but it was in another sense. It was good because what, if you made mistakes, which I made plenty of them, but you had to go in and figure out yourself what the mistake was not running over somebody else's mistake. You see, mm-hmm. Now, like for example, on the on 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 the uh, engines that you were working on at the time, did you work mostly on big blocks, or did you work on some of the small block programs? I, I worked on the small block program with uh, the Chaparral program was actually us. Okay. And uh, what we did is we, when the lightweight come out, 
we started going bigger cubic inch, like 377 inch, you know, instead of the... They started with 327s in 63, and the latter part, they wanted to produce a little more horsepower, which the car really couldn't take it because it had so much aero lift to it. So, but basically, they did it anyway, and, uh, the, and that's what I got into to get the durability in the motor because of the bigger cubic inch and... and uh, it was it was really neat that they lived. Uh, we we had very little breakage, but every time we did a motor, it could actually go in the chaparral or the lightweight because the Chevrolet was paying for the motors in the chaparral program too. We was they was we was sponsoring them kind of in a sense, but basically they could go in the chaparral one week. Next week they're in the lightweight, you know, running Elkhart Lake or somewhere. So. We we and when every time we would get an engine in, if we find anything better to put the durability in the motor better or make the motor a little more horsepower, we could do that, update it, uh, and and produce a very good motor at the end. Yeah. Now a lot of the experimentation and a lot of the research that you did and a lot of the development. Did that find its way into the production cars, or was that kind of kept secret and strictly within the race program? Hush, hush. Now, when you, you when you say production, you got to define it. Okay. The race race stuff, yeah, but the production stuff, like you know, your mediocre stuff that that didn't develop off of us. Now that trickle down if it went into a, a stock vehicle, and and it could help the motor wise. They would come out down and say, "Would you engineer this for this, you know, smaller motor, and and so we can, you know, we can do better and for fuel mileage or something like that." That way we do. But actually, we stuck with the race aspect. Okay. The reason I ask is because Vince Pagans, who's basically often considered the father of the Z28. Were he you was. Ever... We worked on it round the clock. Yeah. Okay. okay, I was going to say, could you because sh- there's a lot of guys that are Z28 fans, including myself. So, can you share a little bit of a little story on that? I, a lot of story because me and him fought tooth and toenail. I was trying to get him. See, we run them staggered dual fours that Smokey did. Uh huh. You know, Smokey designed them dual fours, but the motor was a 302, so it's small cubic inch, and it and it just did not like on idling because it was two CFM on idle for it. It it, it would uh, it would load up, say, you, for instance, you're racing Sebring or going around curves and all, it would load up going into the hairpin, and it'd have to clean out. And, and I never have, and I work with Holly extensively to try to get the stumble out of that thing, but you just had to drive it that way because... But the 302 motor was a little bit... Um, Small cubic inch for the amount of air we was putting to the, to the, and we even went smaller on the carburetors, but what it did is it it took the stumble out of it of off the corners, but at top end it killed it. So okay. we we concentrated more on the top end than we did the low end. Okay. You now, follow me what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because what happens is people don't realize, I mean, they always think you can put a big carburetor on, it's going to go faster. But sometimes, you know, an engine, which is an air pump, can only yield so much air going in and fuel. There's a ratio there that you have to work with, yeah, right? That's right. We uh, we really, uh, we really, after we figured out that we was never going to settle that stumble in it, 
we live by, and then the drivers actually could figure it out, and they and they it, they wouldn't even miss a beat with it. But you know, you, and you couldn't bring the thing that I tried to do is, and I drove it quite a bit in the hairpins and all. When you'd come down on that stumble, you'd try to bring the RPM up on the engine. Then it started messing up in the gearbox, you know, too high trying to bring it down. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. You, you kind of lo- use the motor a little bit to let you come down plus the brakes. Well, you couldn't do it if you was running twelve or 1,300 RPM, you know. When you were running those motors back then in the Trans Am Series, what kind of compression were you guys running? Now, we we really didn't tell anybody, but it's past tense now. We could go from 13 to 1 all the way to 15 to 1. Oh, wow. And we never divulged that at the time, but that's what that was killer with the other. I mean, the others, uh, like 11 and a half to 1 was the max on on the other, or 10 and a half, you know. Okay. We'd, we'd run a higher compression ratio we did if we could get away with it. Well, did they P and G the motors back in those days and check? Yeah, they that? did. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. So, uh, well, one of these days we'll have to get you on the air, and you have to tell us a little bit how you did all the cheating and stuff like that. But cheating, um, cheating. Junior Johnson says you ain't cheating until you get caught. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. I like that. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, all right. So. The, the coming up with the ideal combination there because the, for Trans Am rules it was 305 cubic inches, but so and it just happened to work out that you could use a 283 crank and a 327 block, and basically, but you had the right bore and stroke combination, so you had a little short stroke motor that wound up pretty good, then, right? Yes, it did, it was fabulous. And the breakage was very minimal because we kept it right around 6,800, you know, when we were racing it, you know. Maybe the shorter ones we turn at seventy two, but we didn't. We wasn't trying to kill the RPMs, you know, because uh-huh. that killed the. Well, what the weak link of the motors were was the uh, cam geometry and stuff, you know, the uh, rockers and stuff like that, and the springs and that it, at high RPM it just uh, kind of uh, if you turned it, it got them springs hot and then they break. Okay. And uh, but later on in the NASCAR engines. What we what I done was I oiled them down. I put an oiling system on the uh, to keep them, and then we turned them eighty five or eight thousand. You know. Oh wow, that's yeah. Some, yeah okay. Now another thing that you did is you were involved with Vince Piggins on the L eighty eight program. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that t- that was my pet peeve right there. They hung me out to dry on that thing. Really? Uh, on the L eighty eight, of course, it was when we first released that big block was in a half a year of sixty five. 396. Uh-huh. Well, consequently, we had a problem right off the bat. They they let they released it too early. And if you stopped anywhere any length of time, that sucker was going to go to 12 to 18 in a in no time. You had to keep moving that air through that radiator or that big block would not cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people when they bought them, they didn't understand that, you know. They're at a red light. So we tried to do fan clutches and stuff like that, and it just, you know, you just had to know them a little bit to, to keep them from overheating, and that's what broke a lot of them in the head gaskets and stuff like that. But the motor was uh, was good, but like I said, you had to keep them cool, and the springs in the early ones were, they break easy too because when they get hot, they chafe and stuff like that. We finally figured the springs out in uh but the uh, 
the big block got a bad rap around in there, you know, 66, mm-hmm. too. Okay, and then in 67, what was the official designation as the L88? Yeah, it, it was a half-a-year car. And okay. uh, I worked on that project. I did a lot of uh, testing at uh, at the Proven Grounds with the car. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, it, that that was, uh, that, that was a, a, a fast motor. I mean, it, it was just, it, but we had to, we still had the head problems. Of course, we initially come out with the L88 with the steel casting, you know, heads, but then we went right away for the aluminum heads to get the weight off of the nose of the car. Okay. And uh, when we put went to the aluminum, it, it was, then we had to go through another process of breakage and seats dropping out of the, you know, we had to put stellite seats in them and and change them around after they first come out. And then we finally got them where they they would live. You know, we had to learn how to keep them together. Yeah. Now there's this article I was reading once that you and 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 Vince would go take uh, some cars like this Corvette, for example, and you'd go out there on Woodward Avenue, and there was like a, up on 18 mile. Uh, drive. You guys would kind of like hang out at a restaurant or someplace like that, or like a drive. Yeah, you heard. Yeah, he. Let me tell you something. My boss was adamant about Woodard Avenue. That was really our test bed, and I'll tell you why. When we pulled up there at the uh, Big Boys or whatever it was up on 13 or whatever it was, grass, it was way up there. Anyway, we'd pull, pull in there. Here's the Ford bunch, <laughs> altered wheelbase, Camry motors in them. I mean, they had every engineer that was worked at Ford over there. And then you'd go a little bit, and there's the Mercury Cyclones, and then the the American Motors bunch had their racing stuff there, and there's Chevrolet had the Camaro stuff, and then we'd have the Corvettes there, and then then you went down to the Mercury's, and you know, and and right on down with all of them, you know, all everything racing was up there, and what a time we had! I mean, it was unbelievable, and Vince. He was adamant. He, I'd be under having a project at the tech center. He'd call me up. You ready? I ain't ready. I got to get this thing done. Now, I'm your boss. You load up in this. We're headed to headed to Woodward, you know. So it's Friday night. Here we go to Woodward, you know. You know. We we um, checked a '68 L88 out, and I said, "Where'd you get this thing? You never mind. We don't ask no questions." So we head up with it, and every time we'd go up, we'd kind of maybe break something or you know, something. We could we'd come back and fix it. We'd take an engineering, like the snubber on the rear end, it broke. I had to take my belt and actually tie the rear end down so we could make it back to the tech center because we broke that center link, or, or the the main thing that held the nose of the the third member in. And then they, they took the piece and, and studied it, all the engineers, and then the next week we had it and tested it, the brand new one. Then they went on and made thousands of them. Okay, so in fact, a lot of the street racing uh, kind of basically was kind of like pioneering the production stuff that uh, that got improved over the time that uh, 
you know, when you when you had uh, when you had other uh, you know failures and stuff like that. So that's yeah. that's a good thing. So there's yeah. a lot of positive stuff came out of street racing. Oh yeah, we we also uh, there was a fella uh, that did the suspension. He was he was close to me too, and he passed on. Now his name was Osh Terosian, uh-huh. and Osh would always start doing camera stuff and all in the the spring. I mean the springs, the front springs we we do, but he would change the ratios in these the shocks so when we wouldn't lift as much coming off of the red lights and stuff you know and, mm-hmm. and boy we and and that's how that came into racing you you would go and buy them you know they'd go whoever made them for Chevrolet they would put that formula in with them and you'd have six or seven different ratios and uh, boy people that was Bible back in the day of what they done this week, what's next week that we can get them, you know, <laughs> go to the drag strip with them, you know. Well, now, it's interesting you mentioned that drag strip and then being up there at that, uh, you know, where we used to race on 18-mile drive in, in oh, Detroit. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, like you said, they had the Ford guys, the Mercury guys, the AMC guys, the Chrysler guys, the Pontiac guys. I'm sure everybody was up there. But now you somehow managed to, and we got a few minutes left here, you somehow managed to eke out some time to do your own dragster racing. Tell us, and that car was sponsored by, of all things, American Bandstand? Oh, my gosh, they hated me. They, they, and Vince come down there and begged me not to come up there. I had to run, uh, uh, I think it was the Greek, Karamacinis. Karamacinis, yeah, out of Chicago. I don't know, one of, one of them guys I've raced up there, and, and uh, there it is on that car, and they knew I worked for Chevrolet. I wonder they didn't fire me. Vince says, I'm going to put a tape over that Chrysler engineering, you know. I says, well, you better not put a bow tie on that 392 because they'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I raced top fuel back in the day, and uh, it was very rough on me, though. I mean, I just didn't have the money and run pretty fair. I wasn't, uh, uh, I had to really figure things out, and, you know, I run. Bakersfield and Lions and all when I went to California went out there. Actually, the the thing I tell everybody the further away from Florida I got, the faster the car run. When I'd get here, I'd break uh, two rounds. I had it covered, and the barrel valve broke on the injectors one time, and one time a tire went down on me. I just couldn't believe it. Wow. But anyway, irregardless, uh, it was uh, it was. Uh, it was a, a time that uh, I'm, I'm glad I still have my life because a lot of them, a lot of them lost them, you know, back in the day that I knew very well, you know. Yeah, well, we were, I was just mentioning that earlier, you know, how safing, uh, racing is much more safer today than it was back in the day. But, yeah. uh, but you know, you were diehard committed. Again, we got a minute, a couple minutes left. Um, when when you got into the top fuel thing, okay. Now that you were driving, you were racing there. But earlier in the program, you mentioned something about you were t- you actually had cars on the track. So did you do some road racing, or did you do that for during like during testing to kind of figure out what was going on with the engines that you were you were building and developing at the time? No, I did a lot of road racing with the the guy that taught me everything that I know, and I don't know a, a, a thimble what he did. He was very special, and his name is Mark Donahue. Oh, Mark Donahue. Like he really? got killed a little bit. Part of me got killed. He got, actually, I had the, the the Lola in my garage. We was going to run Elkhart Lake, and I put the engine in ready when he got back. And, uh, of course, he, he didn't get back. You know, he passed on. And, and uh, 
boy, that was a man that I I worked with him in Indianapolis on that car and did all the aero on it. Me and him, just me and him worked together, and he was he was he was like a brother to me. I mean, I just I I I don't know what it is. I still miss him, I, you know, and uh, because we did so much together, and and uh, he was a mechanical engineer like I was, and you know, we we just did a lot together, and. And when you do that, you get real close, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, and his I, kids are are kind of fulfilled as, you know, what he did, too, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, there's a certain bond, and there's, there's a certain camaraderie among racers and car guys. And uh, Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't deal with a whole bunch of people other than real people. And, boy, that, that man was as real as he did, and, and he showed me things that uh, he showed me the how to save the car and, how to not to, and and uh, he he showed me how to finesse the transmission so it'd be at the end instead of tearing it up. We had a there was three of us that drove, and uh, and one of the guys kept ripping the synchronizers out of it, and we had a way to kind of get the synchronizers there to work. And every time he drove it, and Mark got on his got on him, he says, "If we tear this transmission up, your head's coming off." Oh. And he did. He tore it off, and and uh, they just they, we wouldn't let him get in the car again. That was it. We had to build a transmission on the pit wall. Huh. Well, but anyway, hey. irregardless, he but but uh, yeah, he was he was he was in that Camaro deal too. You know, right? Penske, Penske had them Camaros, and Donahue was killer in them Camaros. Golly. Bill, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, I I'm def- glad you have me, and I hope you enjoyed it. And, Absolutely. Uh, I have enjoyed I'd, it. We'd love to have you come back on again sometime and tell some more stories. You want I'd to do that? I'd love to. That's nice of you to have me on. Thank you a lot. Okay. Hey, I want to Bye. thank my special guest this evening, Bill Tower, an amazing guy, worked for Chevrolet Racing Development Department, and uh, he's got some great stories. We're going to have Bill on again sometime. Bill, you take care. We'll see you at some of the events, the racing events. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check out our show every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've been any of our past shows, Nostalgic Radio Cars, the podcast. In the meantime, we'll see you at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen.